So, um, you know, honestly, I don't know about you, but my heart and my brain are full. I mean, has this been awesome? I mean, even Steve's lesson, I'm like, okay, I can go home now. Right? And then Lee's, oh, and I actually got to talk to Lee a little bit beforehand. Um, and I was like, okay. I, and, <laughs> and she talked, you know, such wonderful examples of overcoming painful things. And I'm like, okay, we can all go home. Let's all go home and have an early dinner. Um, today, I get the opportunity to just share this with you from the viewpoint of somebody that does do this um, professionally. So uh, somebody once said, Jennifer, um, you don't need to say what your titles are in life because we just you're a disciple and that's all we need to do to say what we are. I'm a disciple so I hope the words I say help you, right? But part of the reason why they asked me to teach this class is because not only am I a disciple but I'm also a therapist. So I'll just tell you what I do. For those of you who don't know, I'm a doctor of psychology. Um, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. That's what all these little letters up there mean. Um, I'm a certified chemical dependency counselor. And I'm a certified sex therapist. So I, a licensed marriage and family therapist means I work with pretty much whatever walks in the door. I work with kids, families, single adults, couples, and so on. So honestly, not only... And then my husband and I... Um, lead of Mary's ministry here. Many of you know that. So the overcoming the past hurts things is, of course, what we just do in the church, right? Are you okay if I record it? Yes, absolutely. And we're also, if you already started it, where'd she go? I think the recording's already started. Yes, and we're also recording up here. So this class is being recorded. Um, so in the, in the kingdom, we're dealing with lots of past hurts. Our own past hurts. We're helping other people with their past hurts. And then I do that professionally. And um, so I'm hoping to share some of those insights with you that will help you and help other people, um, both in how to combine the scriptures along with uh, how you would work with things as a therapist. So (laughs) the reality is we don't always know how to help people when they're hurting, right? (laughs) I love this. <laughs> okay, why is this funny? Because it's got two meanings. Like, we love hurting people. You know, people that are hurting, we love them. And then there's, we love hurting people. You know. <laughs> Hopefully, the first definition is ours, right? The thing is that there's a lot of different ways that you'll hear about how to overcome past hurts. Um, sometimes you'll hear, just get your armor on, just get ready to battle, have the words ready. So I thought this was kind of funny. I advise you, don't mess with me. I know karate, kung fu, judo, taekwondo, jujitsu, and 28 other dangerous words. (laughs) (laughs) Don't mess with me, right? Sometimes that's how we deal with past hurts is we get all the words or we get ourselves protective, right? Um, Sometimes we're like, okay, I know life's going to hurt, so I'm just going to get through this really quickly and get to the hurt and get past it really fast, you know? And I love this. It's speed dating. I love your eyes. Why do you always do that? You're just like my ex. I'm out of (laughs) here. Just get to the hurt really quick, and then you're done, right? So sometimes we're like that, where uh, the way we overcome hurt is just feel the pain really quick and go on. 
right? Um, sometimes we want to take it into our own hands and, you know, deal with that person who hurt us, you know? Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my because there's a lot of us in here, right? So we're going to name some of the ways that we get hurt. So use two to three words to say it. So don't tell your story. And you might not even be telling your story. You might be telling someone else's. That's fine. So in two to three words, what are some ways that, um, what are some hurts that we have? Abandonment. Abandonment. Love. When, what do you mean? Uh, like past loves. Like past loves that were out. Ignored. When we are ignored, ow. Rejection. When we've been rejected. Death. Death. Those are real hurts. Betrayal. When we've been betrayed. Bullied. When we have been bullied, when people have treated us like totally not okay. Abuse. When we have been physically, emotionally, verbally abused. Okay, toxic, toxic background relationships. Criticized. When we've been criticized and you live around it and you're in it. When things have happened between you and another person and it's really messed up your trust. When you got a relationship and ah, the communication just goes bad and then it just sours. Um, being like molested or raped. Molestation, rape, physical, sexual assaults. Yeah. So, hello, the lesson is now over. <laughs> now, the reality is those are... Um, all very serious hurts. There's not one more serious than another. There can be physical hurts where you literally, your body uh, has an effect from what happened to you, um, especially if there's been physical assault or neglect and things like that. <coughs> oh, by the way, I was going to bring lovely printouts for you to take home with you, and there, it's sitting on my table. <laughs> so if you would like it, write this down. My name, Jennifer Conzen, J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R-K-O-N-Z-E-N. If you have your smartphones, you can do it right now and at yahoo.com and send me an email and just say, can you send me your slides? And you will get all of this. I already have it ready for you. Um, so sometimes the hurts are physical, emotional, verbal abuse. You guys mentioned most of these. Murder, rape, assault, when someone has stolen from you. Uh, slander, when someone has um, slandered you. Betrayals, abandonment. So you guys got them all. When someone's lied about you, somebody's cheated on you sexually or at work, or and just words themselves, all by themselves. And they, the thing about words is they stick in there, right? And you're doing something, and boom, up comes that phrase that somebody said, and it just uh, sits in there with you. Um, I love this spiteful words. This is by C.S. Lewis can hurt your feelings but also silence breaks your heart so sometimes it's words that hurt but sometimes it's that somebody didn't say anything 
Maybe it was a parent that didn't express I love you or a boss that never said you're awesome. So there can be all kinds of different ways that we can be hurt and um, they can leave you with all kinds of feelings. Um, You guys mentioned most of them. You can feel betrayed. What are some other things? Angry, right? You might feel angry. When you're hurt, again, one word answers. What are some ways you feel when someone hurts you? Sorry, put your hands up. Sad. Sad. Shut down. down. Depressed. 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 Angry. Angry. Bitter. Insecure. Insecure. Not trusting. You don't trust. Fed up. Fed up. Enough. Actually, this is the sign. <laughs> so funny. This is the sign for enough in sign language. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that perfect? Everybody do it with me. <laughs> enough. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Okay, so sometimes that's the kind of stuff. You feel hurt. You feel confused. Like, why would somebody... And then how do I respond? And God, we're right, right? There can be all kinds of confusion. Depression is a definite response. The lack of trust. Oh. <laughs> right? Fed up is also can go to just, I'm just, I'm tired of dealing with this. Uh, if you haven't read Linda Brumley's book, read Linda Brumley's book. It is so excellent. And I'm going to talk about it. And, and she talks about that, that the, those wearying, repetitive hurts. There's the big hurts, right? And then there's the one, I adore my family, I adore my husband, but there's the repetitive hurts, right? That you're just like, dang, you said that again, right? Um, and then there can be a real discouragement where it just really gets you. Um, so there's a lot of different effects that can happen in your life. Um, sometimes hurts can create mental health problems, um, problems with depression, with panic. Sometimes people actually start to experience panic, anxiety attacks, um, and other versions of anxiety. That's a lot of times what brings somebody into the room, into my office. And um, I love to help with those kinds of things. I know that sounds kind of weird, but I do. Um, sometimes it affects sleep. Sometimes it affects somebody's appetite. And it can affect your health. So when you have unresolved hurts, they do affect your body in all kinds of different ways. Um, oftentimes, people will become self-destructive. Either they'll cut or they'll... Um, not that the self-destructive behaviors are always because of something someone's done, but um, they, they very much can be. Um, eating problems, eating disorders can come out of that. Um, banging your head against the wall. Um, plucking things. So self-destructive behaviors can come out in a lot of different ways and can be an expression of there's hurt inside of me and I haven't dealt with it yet. Um, I worked as a school counselor for a couple of years and that was difficult dealing with teenagers. Uh, I had 70 clients that year and 70 clients with lots of, lots of self-destructive behaviors. Sometimes it can actually start affecting your job or your schoolwork where it's just eating at you and it's it's really making things difficult. It starts affecting your relationships um, or just period has where you have a hard time with conflict with other people and how to work it out. And so that will come out in all kinds of relational things. Um, someone might become aloof. So that might be where someone's avoiding. They avoid relationships because it's just too painful. Or they might become super distrusting. And we're actually going to talk about sometimes 
holding back trust is wise. But there's that other thing of I just don't trust people that we're talking about here. Um, and then somebody might become super oversensitive where they're just every, they start interpreting everything that happens negative, you know, negatively from that person or other people. And they become what you call in the field of psychology hypervigilant, where you're constantly watching and looking. Um, you might feel that way. Um, then sometimes it'll come out where um, the hurts become unhealthy relationships where you get overly attached to certain people and you, and you become very demanding and they're supposed to be everything for you and so it can come out in unhealthy relationships. Um, it can also come out in where you just find yourself like, dang, I'm just angry all the time and it comes out and just really fast. So, and then definitely, I've, so I do work with chemical dependency and drugs and it will often come out, those hurts and those past things will come out in addictive behaviors because often people use addictive behaviors whether it's sex, drugs, alcohol, gambling, eating, shopping. It can be all kinds of different behaviors. They often use them to manage emotion and I bring that up because most of the times the difficulty with dealing with our hurts is because we have a hard time dealing with emotion, period. And that usually comes from years. That usually comes from upbringing or different things that have happened where maybe you had a great family, like some of you maybe grew up like I did in super dysfunctional families, and others of you, <laughs> my mother will never hear that, others of you <laughs> might have grown up in super healthy families, or at least godly families, right? And how, how could we have struggles if this was an actual healthy family or a godly family? The reality is, even though your parents love you, sometimes they're not very good at communicating or sharing their own emotions. You never saw them deal with conflict. So sometimes the inability to deal with emotion comes from we just didn't have any examples of how to express ourselves in a healthy way growing up. Or we became a Christian and we were good little disciples and we shut everything down and obeyed. Right? And so it can come out again in the later years. So hence, um, one of the first things that I do when I'm dealing with somebody and um, emotion has really become difficult as we talk about emotion management, that sometimes during the years of development, something went awry. So kids start to learn to deal with their emotions as babies, actually, learning to self-soothe and calm themselves. So if something happened during the baby years that messed up with um, emotion development, it can carry through the years. Sometimes it happens during the toddler years, reaching out for mom, mom's not there, dad's not there, or there was physical abuse, you reach, they don't, they're not there for you. So during, or during the toddler, preschool, grade school, middle school years, something happened that arrested normal emotional development. So in psychology you call it arrested development, where the ability to Hmm. what am I feeling, then say it in a healthy way, and then manage it, deal with it, doesn't develop because there wasn't a secure place to develop it when you are growing up. So one of the first things that I do is help people, number one, to learn to identify their emotion. What is it I'm feeling? And then how to express it in a way that helps. And then how to manage it, how to 
what are some things that I need to do so that it doesn't control me and it doesn't control my relationships. So emotion management is honestly a lot of, I'd say, half of what I do as a therapist. Um, The reality is sometimes the hurts, even the small ones, and then all the way to the big ones, they affect our lives as, as a trauma. If you know anything about trauma research, our body says, a trauma happened to me. And so it, um, our body will respond, our brain, our heart, our emotions will respond, similar to what you would think of as like a PTSD, which is um, stress disorders, uh, where they get flashbacks and anger just spikes out. So. What's fascinating about trauma is it doesn't just mean rapes and assaults and wars. It also can be, uh, I can't tell you how many times I've sat with couples where a woman describes to me finding a note that her spouse wrote to another woman. And that picture of that note comes back over and over and over. So it's like PTSD, right? Where you get flashbacks. So you might have some of those from something that's happened to you as an adult or it happened to you as a kid. So those are trauma responses. There's a certain amount of trauma response that's healthy. And then there's a problem when trauma response becomes negative. So we're going to kind of look at that. Um, But first, let me just define. So I love this. This is actually helpful. This is the definition of trauma in in the Greek. It's a Greek word, and it means an emotional wound or shock often having long-lasting effects. Mm -hmm. Right? So we're not even talking just a war or being physically abused. Sometimes there are wounds, whether they're emotional or usually they're emotional, but the, the shock to the system the emotional shock to the system leaves long-lasting effects. So that's why some of you probably came to the class today because you're probably like, oh my gosh, why can't I get over this? Um, Today won't fix that, but it might put you on a path to that, okay? (laughs) Be nice if you could fix it in one lesson, huh? So this is a typical normal trauma response. It's a normal reaction. I'm going to describe those responses to an abnormal event that overwhelms a person's ability to adapt to life, where you feel powerless. So the reality is most traumatic hurt responses are normal. And so I can't emphasize that enough. Um, When they extend over years, that's when it's like, okay, this is messing with my job, my relationships. I've got to deal with this. But the first step of dealing with it, or one of the early steps in dealing with it, is realizing there's a lot of how I'm responding that's normal, okay? For instance, um, there's physical and psychological ways that we act out that are actually a normal way to respond to an abnormal event. Most of the things that have happened to you weren't supposed to happen to you, right? Okay, if you were physically, sexually, in any way abused, that was never supposed to happen to you. God didn't create the world till your friend lied about you. God didn't create the world so that your boss was, you know, sarcastic with you. He didn't. So those are abnormal, right? God didn't create that. Sin, of course, comes in and creates a lot of problems. So most of the ways that we're responding, that first thing is that we 
our body responds and our psych psychological behavior responds. That psychology would be your soul, actually the psyche means your soul, and your mind, okay? So you got your body and your soul and your mind, and they all respond to some of these really challenging things. So sometimes what will happen is the brain, uh, when you feel under attack, notice it says a perceived challenge or threat. It doesn't actually mean that something's actually threatening you, but that memory comes up, right? What happens is your brain says danger, 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 and it sends signals to your heart to increase the blood flow. It sends signals to the lungs to increase the bringing in of oxygen. Um, it sends signals to the stomach to, hey, quick digest this stuff so we can send more energy somewhere else. It sends uh, extra blood to the muscles, and then you get the tensing that happens, and then it actually causes sweat. So you'll be in a situation, right? You've all been there where something happens and all of a sudden, and you're like, oh my gosh, and it's this really quick, there's nothing you can do about that response. Nothing. It's automatic. What we can do is what to do after that response. It's an automatic, normal trauma response. And then what do we do with it after it happens? Um, so just to further explain that, uh, a normal trauma response would be, have you ever, when somebody said something and it hurt your feelings, and then you play it over and over in your mind 20 million times, and then by the time you get home, you talk to a friend, and then you talk to God, and then you read a scripture, and after you replayed it, it stops hurting maybe quite as much, and then you resolve it with them, and then you hear the phrase again, and you're not so bothered because you worked through it. That's what you call um, a temporary preoccupation. That's actually pretty normal. Um, we call it ruminating. The problem, of course, is when the ruminating continues and you just can't get it out of your brain. Um, the pictures keep coming. Involuntary intrusive memories are actually normal trauma response. Notice it says some. So if you're still having those and it's been a while, that's when you go, huh, I might need some extra help. Um, so, replaying painful memories can help people with emotional response to trauma. A gradual increase in tolerance for traumatic content. So, as you keep seeing the memory, you kind of work through it, you're thinking through it, and it was awful, and it was wrong, and you, so you actually can get your heart rate back down. So, that's actually somewhat normal. It can become problematic when it's a persistent pattern of hyperarousal and avoidance. That's when it creates problems when you start avoiding relationships, when you become hypervigilant on an ongoing basis. So, um, and then, so that's the body response, the whole psyche response. The spiritual response is often also difficult to deal with um, because there's the questions on why me? Okay, God, <laughs> really, why? Um, am I being punished? All those spiritual questions that come up. Is this from God? This thing that happened to me, is this his will? Uh, why did he allow it? I was a kid. That's a kid. That happened to a child. Why would God do that? These very big questions about God. Why isn't God answering me and helping me with this situation? So this is, um, again, there's the normal part. And then when it extends over time and starts to affect your life, that's when you go, okay, so now we're, we're dealing with something I might need some extra help with. 
Um, because those questioning of core beliefs and spiritual values, that can always be like a hmm. I might need to be getting some more. And we get to the point of hopelessness and sometimes shame and guilt about the actual thing that happened to us can come in. Or how we responded to it. Or how we shouldn't be responding to it. Actually, shame and guilt often comes in when we're like, I shouldn't be having a problem with this anymore. It happened 20 years ago. It happened five years ago. I should be over this. I said I, I, said I forgive you. You know, and so... Sometimes the guilt and shame can be that we feel guilty and ashamed of our lack of getting over stuff. So, unfortunately, and it was leaded an incredible job of talking about how sometimes the hurts actually happen in the body. And sometimes those are actually harder because it's like the movie, you know, Sleeping with the Enemy. I Honestly, one of the things that really helps me is that the Bible addresses this. When people who shouldn't hurt you, people who should love you, people who should be disciples of Jesus, when they hurt you, it's almost worse, right? Okay, all this that happened before I was a Christian, that's one thing, but all this happened as a Christian, it's almost like, what? Right? I became a disciple. That's not supposed to happen. And I, you know, then we think, okay, we're humans. Humans, you Herman. Humans, okay. And we try to think through it, right? But the hurt is almost bigger because it wasn't supposed to happen because we're all disciples. And so I really appreciate David's viewpoint here. If you haven't read the scripture, dive into it. If an enemy were insulting me, I can endure it. But it's you, my companion, my close friend with whom I enjoyed sweet fellowship. (sighs) I mean, that's like reading it straight out of what it's like to be a disciple, right? So sometimes the hurts can be within the family. Well, this is a Jesus conference, so we're going to look at some of the things. He has the answer for how to deal with all this stuff, so we're going to talk to him and look at him and see what happened to him how he responded, and how we can take that and respond that way. Um, The thing about Jesus is that sometimes we forget to pay attention to all the little factors and put them in terms of what that, how we would compare that to our lives. So for instance, um, so Matthew 2, right? She mentioned that this morning, this afternoon. Herod, and actually Steve did too, Jesus is the infant he's born, and Herod goes out to search for him, to kill him, right? But then what happened is Herod gives orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem who were two years old and under. Now think about this. At one point, Jesus knew this happened, right? Number one, he was actually in physical danger of being murdered as a baby or a toddler. We're not quite sure how old he was. Okay, so some of us have been in physical danger or we have been assaulted or somebody in our family has been murdered. So he actually, they they literally had to flee for their life. But then the reality is, can you imagine living with that knowledge that something that was going on when you were a baby, all these two-year-old babies were killed. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, how did he deal with that? And that people tried to do that to his family and that these leaders did it to his people's kids, right? 
This is very real. This happened in his lifetime to his family, to people in his community, in his spiritual family, right? We don't know. I have no idea how he responded. But I do know at one point he realized this um, because we know that he read the scriptures, right? Um, and then sent the spirit to write them. Okay, then what about his family? Okay, have you ever had hurt? Anybody ever get hurt in their family? If your hand's not up, you're lying. <laughs> okay. This is, now, we all know this. But, okay, picture it. He's preaching. And he finds out that his mother and brothers come in and say he's out of his mind. What would that be like to have somebody say that about you? And this is Mary, who had an angel who said, you're going to bear the son of God. And she's thinking he's out of his mind. What was that like for him to have his mother say that about him? Have you had mothers say, like, bad things about you? I got out of the jacuzzi one time. I was 18. I get out of the jacuzzi, and my mom looks at me, and she goes, where'd you get those thighs? They're not from me. They must be from your dad. I was like, right? No, my mom is actually... She was like pudgy, and we always called her the Pillsbury Doughboy. And so she wasn't even body conscious. I don't know where that came from that she would say that, but I'm going to be 50, and I still remember it. Right? So sometimes people say things that just dig, and they hurt. And that's just, oh, my gosh. My father was an alcoholic, and he said terrible things to all of us. All of us. There's six of us. So, you know, his brothers, his mother. And then they're mocking him, right? So he's in the middle. All we know is his ministry life and 12 years and two years. He's an adult. He's about to go heal people, and his brothers are like, show yourself to the world, right? I mean, they're literally, have you ever had somebody mock you? Maybe your dad, your brother, your sister, your coworker, your boss? So, like, his own brothers said that about him. And then it says they didn't even believe in him. Right? Have you ever had somebody not believe in you? And it's the abandonment, the betrayal, the you don't have any vision for me. You didn't ever say I love you. You know, I mean, there's just so many ways in which people don't believe in us. So sometimes I think we forget that he actually went through these exact kind of things. Um, okay, what about friendships, right? So that's family, upbringing. What about his friends? Well, Peter said, I never knew him. And Jesus knew he was going to do it, right? Judas betrays him with a kiss. Have you ever had that feeling where somebody who was your friend that you sat next to and enjoyed wonderful things and they betrayed you with a kiss? You know, smiling, right? And they completely disown you. I never even knew. I don't even know her. I, I don't even claim friendship with her. She's not my friend. Something like that. She's a bad worker. She's, a, you know, something negative. What about the very people he was with, right? For those three years, they all fled. If you've been abandoned, if someone has left you, he is literally being arrested and they run. And it doesn't say some. This includes John. Okay, John, who was at the cross, right? Who he said, take care of my mother. John ran. And Peter ran. They all ran. Okay, nobody was there for him. So, you know, yeah, wow. So, okay, what about the people who were spiritually supposed to be taking care of him? 
Okay, I don't even probably have to go there, huh? What were they like, the spiritual leaders who were supposed to be leading his church? Ever been, anybody ever been, you don't have to raise your hand. Anybody ever been hurt by a leader? Hmm. Okay, I've been a leader. I've heard, I mean, during the whole 2003 thing, I had tried to call as many people as I could. Have I hurt you? Have I done any? Okay, if I've hurt you, please come and talk to me. I've, I've, I literally, I called people and said, you know, is there anything that I've done? We hurt people. If you're a leader, you've hurt people. You've been hurt by leaders. And so that's exactly, okay, look at Jesus. These are people who are supposed to take care of him. They drive him out of town. They took him to the brow of the hill in order to throw him down the cliff. These are the peop- These are his Bible talk leaders and his regional leaders. This is his hometown. This is in Jerusalem. This is his hometown. And they tried to push him over a cliff, right? Then he's in Jerusalem. Okay, so these are the big leaders. This is, you know, the elders of the church. This is the big leaders. And what do they do? They're looking for false evidence against him to put him to death. And they found people who said this fellow. They actually found people to lie about him. So I, as a therapist, sometimes I get couples or people who've been in the ministry through the years, and they come down, and their stories are kind of challenging to hear about some of the things that have been done, right, even within the leadership of our own spiritual family. And then, of course, here they are at the cross, and Jesus is hanging on the cross, and the spiritual leaders say... Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe in him. Have you, I won't have you raise your hand. If you've ever had where somebody you trusted said, who's a leader, who said something about you negative to somebody else and you found out about it, it's super painful. Okay? So, again, these were his leaders that mocked him while hanging on the cross. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. And they're talking about the Son of God here. Right? Okay, what about cops? and governors, and presidents, and we live in a pretty relatively safe society, but some of you have not experienced that. Some of you have experienced times with um, governing authorities who have been horrible to you or treated you unfairly. Um, So did that happen to him? Yep. Pilate said, I'm innocent, and had him flogged. This man knew he was innocent. He knew that they were doing it out of envy, and he said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. Go ahead and flog him. All right, this was the governing authority that should have done the right thing and knew. <clears throat> and then, of course, you've got the soldiers. So these are the cops, right? And who were the ones mocking Jesus with the crown on his thorns that we saw today? Right? Hitting him on the head. And then they forced him to carry the cross. These are straight out of the scriptures. So, all right. He can relate to what we've gone through. Maybe not exactly to the exact situation, but to the pain. And um, the thing is, okay, so then what did he deal with? How did he deal with it? You know, this is actually before he goes to the cross. He knows what's going to happen, right? And these are the people who are going to mock him, who are going to run and flee, who are going to say, I don't know him, who are going to say, he's crazy. And he comes up over the hill, and he sees Jerusalem, and he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets, those who sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children. And he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, and he wept. This is actually chapter 13 and chapter 19. This is really challenging to me. I am not a naturally compassionate person, which makes it a little challenging sometimes to be a therapist. I, you know, 
I, I, his heart was so soft that when he looked at the very people that he knew were going to do those things to him, he wept for them and said, I wish I could keep them under my wings and take care of them. Um, he expressed his sorrow. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He understood where they were coming from. They don't know what they're doing. And you heard some of this today. He was so generous. He's on the cross and he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. So Jesus had an amazing response. Even to Peter. Look at how he... He died, and who's Jesus? Peter, right? Peter was the one that said, I don't know the man, right? And first Peter, who wrote Peter? Right. Peter, the guy that said, I don't know the man, wrote this. When they hurled insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered... Ah, this gets me. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him. Which is I bet when Peter was penning this, he was like, dang, I did this to him. And what did he do? What did Jesus do? He says, go find Peter and tell him I'm alive. He come, Jesus comes alive and he's like, Peter. He looks for Peter. Right? He says to Peter, when they're having breakfast, <laughs> get that, having breakfast and he says take care of my sheep this is how he responded to Peter that's why Peter ended up writing what he wrote you know Jesus is such an incredible example and not only to that but I think the reason why he was so able to to deal with that with hurts the people caused him by the way his mother who said he's crazy is the one he said John take care of my mother right that had just happened too this whole thing with thinking he's crazy it happened just before the cross so, um, how did he, though, respond to other people's hurts? And this is where you see how Jesus was able to deal that with other people. In Luke 7, and, and uh, Steve talked about this, it says that that woman, uh, her son's funeral was going by, and he sees her, the widow of Nain, and it says his heart went out to her in Luke 7. So, if you haven't read Linda Brumley's book, she talks a lot about this. And literally in Luke 7 it means his guts were moved his guts were moved oh, a lot of what makes a difference in overcoming past hurts is getting to the point where we can actually have this heart level response towards people either who have hurt us or to people who fall into that category but the thing is is how do we get there that's a really nice idea, Jennifer. I'm supposed to be like Jesus. Okay, that's a really nice idea. And the thing is, is that after you've been baptized, right, you're supposed to all magically disappear. No lack of trust, no guilt, no anger, no hurt. No, they all did, You become a Christian, right? And what you hear from your discipler is you just need to repent. You just need to forgive somebody. Get over it. Move on. Forgive them. Sometimes we get pat answers, cliches, pride explanations, clues, challenges. 
Though our dear friend kicked the bucket, let us remember to not cry over spilled milk before the grass is always greener on the other side. <laughs> Sometimes this is what it feels like when someone's trying to help you and they just kind of give you all these repent, be like Jesus, pray, right? So I'm going to hit a couple things in our last ten minutes here. There's a big difference between forgiveness and trust. Forgiveness is something that we can grant and that we can give. And again, read Linda's book. Trust, however, um, builds over time. Sometimes you need to be shrewd as snakes. Uh, that's actually the Matthew 10:16. Be shrewd as serpents and innocent as does, but beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you. Okay. <laughs> the Bible's like, when someone's you know, you borrowed your car and then they returned it with a huge dent in it, you might not let them borrow your car again. You know, that might be, you know, and, you know, it's, I'm, if that's happened to you, sorry, I didn't mean to bring up that <laughs> memory. But I love this. Titus 2. Show that people need to show that they are fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Okay, so it's actually okay to say, I forgive this person, but I don't actually know if I trust them. Now, sometimes we don't trust them because we're dealing with anger and resentment inside of our hearts. So that's a tough one to sometimes figure out. Um, Remember, though, forgiveness is not the immediate restoration of trust or the removal of all painful emotions. It would be really nice if it was, but unfortunately... It's not. You still can have the painful emotions. It doesn't mean you haven't forgiven. So if that helps you at all, when someone's saying you just need to repent and just need to forgive, maybe you have forgiven, but the painful emotions still get, what she said earlier, triggered. (laughs) Uh, There is a difference between holding a record, keeping a record of wrongs, and responding to painful memories when it flashes up and how your heart starts beating and your palms start sweating. Right? There is a difference Honestly, a lot of times what we need is to talk to somebody wise and spiritual to figure out which one it is. Okay, am I just being triggered and I just need to learn how to deal with those heart and body responses? Or am I actually holding a record? It's a little hard sometimes to tell, and that's why this thing can be quite helpful. So, again, this is from Linda's book. This is, I'm not going ta- to do it, but these are the chapters. So I'm going to tap on a couple of these. We're going to talk about, in the last five minutes, analyzing the offense. Allowing for grief, know your obstacles, deepen your understanding of God, and grasp the power of mercy. Okay, this is why you're definitely going to want a copy. <laughs> so, uh, Linda Brumley, Hand in Hand with God, Finding Your Path to Forgiveness. So, Brumley, DPI. So, if, you knew, if, you, if I said that too fast, just come and ask me afterwards. Okay. So one of the things that's really important in dealing with your past hurts is name them specifically and know it was wrong. What that person did was wrong. So call it that. Okay? That's not, it was wrong! You know, that's a little different than, that was wrong. Okay, so did Jesus do that? Well, he did. He called Peter what? Satan. Satan. <laughs> I'm not 
saying, call your friend Satan. <laughs> However, these are just some kind of blunt examples, but Jesus did this a lot. He was able to say, this is wrong. And so one of the ways of actually overcoming stuff is label it clearly as what the wrong it is. Again, Linda's got a whole chapter on it. I love this. Proverbs, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will not escape. So God says there's false witnesses, and there are lies. People do these things. They betray, and they are hateful. Right? They treat you with dishonor. Right? So that's important to speak the truth. Call the offense what it is. And do what Jesus taught with that. I'm not going to go over this, but that's Matthew 18. Go and talk to that person bluntly and honestly. Or go talk to somebody to get you to help with that. Or the person's dead. It's a little hard to do it. Um, But that actually happens a lot where the hurts that have happened are with somebody that has already died. And that's where I actually do that work quite a bit with people that come to see me. with how to deal with hurts when somebody's already gone. Um, rebuke him. Oh, I love this. Luke 17. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Okay, well, that's nice. So we do have to have that conversation. Go and talk to them. If they have something against you, don't wait till they come to you. Go and talk to them. As far as it depends on you, live at peace. The other part of that uh, analyzing, the response is make sure you're, you're analyzing it with God. You're honest with God. Be very real with God. Jesus was. He was very real with God when he said, I don't want to do this. Look at David. David says, how long did you forget me? And he literally says, God, why? So we have to analyze what's happened and be honest with it, with God and with other people in our lives. And this is really important. Don't try to ignore the hurt. Allow yourself some time to feel the grief and express it to somebody. That's actually really important. Jesus did that. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I'm not sure what it was he was feeling sorrowful about because there were so many things going on, right? But he did, to his friends, tell him that, and then he took it to God. So we do need to have that sorrowful, grieving response. And sometimes what happens is, People come to see me because, as disciples because they became a disciple and something horrible happened and aren't they awesome? They forgave that person. And now they have to walk through life as a disciple being really forgiving, right? But then it's kind of sitting in there. And so what happens sometimes is we pat each other on the back and say, good job, you're so forgiving. When actually we never really worked through it and we never expressed the grief that we felt and the loss that we felt when that happened. So that's actually pretty important. Now I'm going to skip this fast because we are out of time. But know what your obstacles are. Identify them. Do you point the finger? So this is the stuff about you that you need to look at. You know, um, you might not have known there was a scripture with the word pointing finger in it. But it's in Isaiah 58. If you do away with the pointing finger, what's the result? You'll be like a well watered garden. So if you're somebody who tends to do that, then you've got to deal with that. Resentment is like trying to kill the other person by drinking poison yourself. So resentment, if, you're, if you deal with resentment, 
That might be your obstacle, getting help with that. It's very powerful. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Right? So if, you, if, if resentment is something, then you've got to know your obstacles. I'm dealing with resentment. It might be that when you're wronged, you become a fortified city and a citadel. Right? It might be that when you're... That's a fortified city, by the way. That's a citadel. It might be that you attack. Reckless words pierce like a sword. So know what your obstacles are. You might get super angry. And here's a bunch you can look at. Nehemiah got angry, but you know what he did? He was motivated by his anger to rebuke the rulers of God's people for their sin and instead of being silent and compromising with them. So he was angry at the wrong that they were doing. Right? But then it created action, godly action. So anger isn't all bad. Moses was angry about the people's foolish actions, so he prayed. David was angry, and so he meditated on God's word. So you might be dealing with anger about that past hurt. All right. Acknowledge it, and now learn how to use that anger to create godly action. Um, You may be a conflict avoider. Got to speak the truth. I love this. Leviticus 19, rebuke your neighbor frankly. I didn't even know that was in there. I just found it a couple weeks ago. I love it. (laughs) Openly, directly, sincerely is what that word frankly in the Hebrew means. So if you're a conflict avoider, then you need to overcome that obstacle and deal with conflict avoiding. Peace at any price is not the road to authentic relationships. That's Steve Chapman. I think the most important thing is this one. Is getting a deeper understanding of God, who he is, how he feels, and how does he see you. So I'm going to please email me and I'm going to give you some scriptures to go over. So we know that this was how Jesus overcame things. He says, I know the Father and the Father knows me. Look what Isaiah 61 says. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. You might have some past hurts that are imprisoning you, right? And you just feel captured by them. And he says, that's my awesome job is I get to free you. You've, maybe you've been brokenhearted. I can free you. This is a compilation of three different scriptures, four different scriptures. I love this. To those who have experienced things that have resulted in unholy pain, Christ says, I understand well your experience. I hear the cry of the needy, the afflicted and the broken. Come to me. I am your refuge. I am safe. I will remake what is broken. I will give you reason to trust and then to love, and I will remake your joy. One of the biggest, single biggest ways to overcome the past is to know who God is in his character. This is his character. Isaiah 43, he says, you're mine. You are precious and honored in my sight. You don't have to be Gollum. Or if anybody's seen Lord of the Beans, you don't have to be. God said, this is how he feels about us. And if this isn't strong for you, knowing how he feels about you, in your email say, can you send me your list of how God feels about you? And I will send you a list of scriptures on how God feels about you. He says you're precious and honored. He says, 
that when your cry comes before him, look at this last part. Why does he rescue? That's how he feels about you. So sometimes we lose contact with how incredible he is. All right? You can look at that one later. The last point is understanding the power of mercy. Um, At one point, you look at the wrong, you label it as wrong, you say it's wrong. It's wrong. Right? And then you grieve over what you lost. And then you go, okay, so what are my obstacles? And then you go, I'm going to get God's view of this whole situation and of me. And then ultimately when you get to that point, can you go, I don't have to actually punish this person or punish this situation. I can choose mercy. But sometimes you have to work through all those things to getting to, remember I said, how do we get to be like Jesus? Sometimes we have to go through these other things to get there. On mercy. You look at Luke. This is the most amazing scripture. Luke 6. God is kind to who? And we can go home right now. You are going home in a couple minutes. God is kind. Because we're all going to die. It's so hot. God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. I want to be like that. Right? But it's hard. I mean, I love my children, but sometimes it's hard for me to love them. We went to Disneyland. It took them for three days to Disneyland. We're driving out of Disneyland. And we, they say, can we go to McDonald's? Like, sure. And on trips, we might get them a happy meal when they were little. They're not little anymore. And so Michael would kill me. Um, and so then we're at McDonald's and they say, can we have a happy meal? And we say, no, we're going to do the dollar menu. We never get a happy meal. I swear, the, uh, if I hadn't watched it, a demon was going to come out of my mouth. <laughs> we had just taken them to Disneyland for three days. We never get a happy meal. I'm like, I'm going to choke my child. Go over 2 Timothy 2 where it says that you've got to realize that people need to come to their senses. They've been entrapped by the devil. <laughs> They've been taken captive. I use the scripture a lot when I'm dealing with wives who are frustrated with their husbands. <laughs> this isn't just written about somebody who's not a Christian. Sometimes as a Christian, people do things that you know Satan just went whoop and took them. Right? And so sometimes it helps that I need to gently instruct. So that's the choosing mercy, the power of mercy. We are messengers of reconciliation. If you have not read The Age of Opportunity, which is a book on parenting, and you don't have to be a parent, go read that book. It is so good, Age of Opportunity. And he does a great job of talking about we are to be messengers of reconciliation. So you might, so 2 Corinthians 5, compelled by his love, make his appeal. So this is the long view. Choosing honesty, that's that, say it like it is. Choosing mercy and becoming a messenger. The thing is, that's the long view. Sometimes you have to take steps to get there. Okay? So if you need more, you may need, if you've got any kind of suicidal thinking, 
if you if you get more help, if you need inpatient and outpatient services, get more help. That means going to see somebody in a hospital or going to an ongoing program, outpatient services, then it's okay. Go get that help. If you need more accountability as a disciple, get somebody to hold you more accountable. If you need help, this is, oh, go read. Uh, Shapiro, Shapiro, this is, these are disciples. They wrote Rejoice Always, and it's a great book on dealing with mental health issues as a disciple. And they say, get discipled, have good fellowship, pray, have your quiet times. You still, even when you're battling with these things, can do these things. Um, get some therapy, get in a support group, in church, out of church, get somebody who's a hero. Those are some of the practicals, okay? So analyze the offense, allow for grief, know the obstacles, get a deeper understanding, and pursue mercy. All right?